Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with strength and conditioning coach for England Sevens, Dan Howells. So this episode of the Pasty Performance Podcast is also sponsored by Vald Performance, creators of the Nordboard. So if you haven't heard of the Nordboard already, don't worry, I'll explain, it's really, really simple. The Nordboard is a really fast and accurate system for monitoring hamstring strength. So as practitioners, we can do very little about athlete age and previous hamstring injury, but what we can do something about is our athlete's eccentric strength, and that's where the Nordboard fits in really nicely. It isn't going to get your athlete's hamstrings bulletproof, but what it is going to do is give you the right information so you can make the right decisions at the right time. If you do want any more information, you can go over to Vald Performance, that's V-A-L-D performance.com, or email info at valdperformance.com. Thanks for tuning in to episode 65 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So I'm gonna keep this intro nice and short because I've got a croaky throat and I'm full of cold, so no one wants to listen to my voice at this time. So just wanna say a massive thank you for the support you've been giving over 2015. So we're coming up to a quarter of a million downloads of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So massive thanks for your support. And again, would love some feedback on the episode with Dan uh, as it goes out. So enjoy the podcast with Dan and I'll speak to you shortly. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So today we've got uh, Dan Howells, who's making his second appearance after, I think it was number 31, with um, with a couple of other guys from Wasps. So Dan's the uh, strength and conditioning coach for England Sevens. So just before we get started, it's the 23rd of December. The probably last thing he wants to do is be talking to me. He just wants to go home and spend some time with the family. So really appreciate Dan's time, uh, this time of the year especially. So um, yeah, really appreciate that. And I just want to get you to do a little bit of an introduction yourself um, and what you're currently doing and if things have changed from last time. So thanks, Dan, and welcome. Thank you, Rob. Um, yeah, not much has changed. I think uh, we alluded to on the last podcast the journey I made it was in simple terms through university and then MSc and and then UKCA accreditation and, and then the IS spending five or six years there before moving over to WASPs and now, now with England Sevens so a pretty um, linear approach and nothing too out of the norm um, and, that, and that's current day so yeah currently with England Sevens and we're, we're just in the middle of starting the, the Sevens World Series at present leading up to the Olympics next year. Cool so Strength and conditioning coach, that is that all encompassing. So you are in charge of on field and, and gym? Yeah, I mean the department we have is pretty small and, and that's been a godsend really. It's been fantastic because you don't don't lose things in translation across a big population of, of management. So we have a head coach, an assistant coach, then we have um team manager who's admin based office based we have one analyst um we have a head physio and assistant physio and then we have myself so my my job title is strength conditioning coach but it would cover the sports science components as well so management gps um innovation projects that kind of thing health and yeah we've got a nutritionist who's part-time that that uh, works in collaboration with me so it's it's quite an all-encompassing role which which is great 
So you don't have anything to do with the women's or do you kind of oversee that as well? No, we're, we're independent. We, we do cross over in terms of um, our uh, practitioners. So the SNC coaches over there will, will spend time conversing and exchanging ideas. And there's, sim- there's some similar models across both programs, men and women. But yeah, it's, it's independent. So just, just the men. So you mentioned before, before we came on air that the, um, there's quite a lot of people that kind of pass through your doors and are interested in what you guys are doing. It's a bit of a kind of fluffy gay question, but how, how important do you think, how important do you think that is that you are kind of open and, and receptive to what other people have got to say? I I think that there's, there's two sides of the coin here with, with me saying that it's brilliant in terms of having a small team um, because on the ground, the important messages across practitioners with athletes is consistent and not lost. But on the other side of that, you lose the ability to converse with people in the same discipline as you and get challenged and come up with creative ideas. So you take our time at war. People like Tom Farrow and Connor and um, Nick Chadney and Taplin, there was five of us. And every Friday we'd sit down and we'd call it a checking challenge. We'd reflect on the week. We'd challenge what we'd done. Was it good? <clears throat> and we'd think of things that we would start, stop and continue. So things that we would want to start doing, things we'd want to stop and things that we should continue doing and reasons why. So I... I lose that. So the people coming into the program are kind of the outside eyes that I'm always happy to get reflection of. Um, a couple of guys I always say, if you're going to come spend some considerable time with us, the one thing we'd ask back is a bit of a critique, both good and bad. So I've had plenty of people from different environments and clubs come in and go, okay, well, this was really good. We like how you do this. I've got a question about this. What do you think about your management of this way? that you're managing your metabolic work in the program and so on and so forth. And it, it keeps me on my toes and keeps me thinking about whether I'm doing the right stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I'm, we're all welcoming of other people in the program and across the board, coaches, analysts, uh, the physios as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. So uh, there's obviously tons of people out there who are, who are maybe not in a similar position, but in a similar kind of structure, that mm-hmm. they're kind of one-man bands or you know very small team or whatever. So, what are your what are the your other kind of go-to resources um, when it comes to your own CPD? Apart from obviously having people in and having them critique what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, online. I mean, everybody loves Twitter, don't they? And it's actually it has to be the, the simplest, most effective way to keep up or stay bang on trend as they would say you know all the things that are coming out real time are on on social media so if you're on top of that daily a bit of a twitter noise then you, you'll see that and it'll get pushed in front of you so that kind of is my dipping the toe in the water and then i'll chase the things i see uh, that, I, that i have more interest in so if things start coming up around monitoring and um load management etc then i'll start to direct my time towards that a little bit more and and go through the internet sources as much as possible. And then there's plenty of conversations with various practitioners online and on Skype as we're doing now that have followed from that. So I don't get, I don't get a lot of time away from program because it is only me. So if I was to step away from the program for a given day, it means the program is not catered for from a practitioner point of view. So, um, I do kind of lose out on, on that side of it. And in the future, we'd hope to have somebody else on board that we could share the load a little bit and push ourselves into innovation and uh, other CPD based events etc so um, yeah um, so social media is kind of the one that keeps everybody alive with the current trends I think yeah absolutely so I'll just um, we'll move on and get into the 
the kind of meat of it really. Um, one thing that I fired over to you was um, how you manage uh, multiple data streams. And what I meant by that is, I mean, I, I kind of knew before that you were kind of running the department of, of yourself and a, a couple of other guys and a relatively small team. So what kind of data are you collecting and from what areas and how you're using that to, to affect your program um, and maybe drive the innovation that you've talked about? Yeah, I think I've had a nice journey on this one, um, both learning the hard way and, and now to a point where I feel that we've got a massive bang for buck in what we're doing, especially as one, one practitioner needing to take that information and, and influence practice. So if we go back to early days of coaching when I was a little bit more naive and didn't quite know what how to manage systems as well, then I was collecting a lot of data, but it wasn't informing practice and there was a lot of gaps data so the one thing i learned straight away was that you've got to trial your monitoring or trial the data collection first never never roll something out without giving it um quality assurance beforehand so if you know we take wasps for example i collect very different data with those guys because it was 44 guys instead of 24 and their adherence was a lot more varied than, than the guys we see uh, in training with the england guys because there were some guys in and or giving extra days off it was very, very different across the programming wasps. So, yeah, knowing what you want to collect is, is the the first thing, but making sure that what you're collecting is giving you the whole picture. So there's no good having 60% adherence on, say, uh, well-being monitoring. So that was my first um, learning curve back in the day. Um, and then through the England 7s program, I, I rolled out systematically uh, bit by bit the monitoring that we want to do. And now we're probably at the, the point where it's it's all encompassing and we've got everything in that we want um, and that for me covers off we've got monitoring uh, wellness to start with which is just purely subjective that's done through an app that we have in, in the union so the boys have that on their phone with two reminders one at half seven one at eight a.m. Um, to give them a nudge in terms of filling that monitoring it's just self-based questionnaires scales of one to ten etc but involved in that is HRV as well. So we've bespokely made the app so that they can input the HRV data, both the absolute value and the clinical score. And then that gets uploaded to a cloud. And then 8.01 in the morning, I can look online at that and bring up their wellness data. Um, probably the most informative part of that is a blank part. So again, this was through trial and error. We, we decided that the blank box that said notes that the guys could write in. We felt that we would create a situation where they could not submit the wellness uh, questionnaire unless there was information in that box. And that might just be an NA, non-applicable. Um, and that forced guys actually to give us a descriptive um, reflection of how they're feeling. So, you know, early. I feel like the early signs of a cough and a cold, or I've got a sniffly nose. Or no, that's really fine, mate. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. So it's you know it gives us a, a situation that that we can force a conversation in in the hallway. So that that's our monitoring, uh, uh, and that that means we can have um, shared information across the disciplines in the morning. But in terms of our load monitoring and managing that data stream, um, we don't report to the head coach every day because I don't think we have the time and effort with the number of staff to do that. So we'll, we'll monitor something called training stress balance across 
uh, subjective training load, RP times time, and then we'll also look at it for, for a high-speed running metric as well through the GPS. So those are our simple monitoring streams that we'll take out daily and we'll be on top of morning and evening each day. Cool. A um, couple of questions there. Just your your quality assurance that you, you mentioned that you went through like a phase of yeah. making sure this is what it wants to be and what it needs to be. What what was the, what did that process look like? Was it just collecting data and then re- evaluating it after a certain time or what, what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, it was it was just trial and error. It's a simple way of describing it. Um, yeah. you, you know, I tried some things and, and the women's program was fantastic because the women's program, as I evolved as a practitioner, that evolved in terms of contact time with them as well. And so I got to a point where I could see what were the, what were the highest uh, variables that, that I was monitoring in terms of adherence. So um, I could see that the way I monitored their training load was that I was coming back and every every weekend I'd have maybe 60% adherence. So I spent a lot of time chasing numbers and that was ineffective for me as a coach. So that was my sign. If I'm, if I'm spending time chasing numbers or chasing data, then it's not an effective tool. Um, with the program we're in at the minute, we're in together all the time. Uh, every day so that that data is collected uh, quite religiously and there's consequences if if they're not uh, entered or filled in by the boys so um it's a pretty accountable accountable environment and therefore we get the we get the information we need but it's not too complex in nature in terms of deciphering what what we have in front of us mm-hmm. so you mentioned another thing that was you mentioned it was uh, something that you went the process that you went through when you were kind of first coming in was knowing actually what you want to collect yeah. and I know that seems really simple, but yeah. from the last couple of months, uh, in my experience, that that isn't as simple as it seems. And I think a lot of people maybe going down the, um, especially the GPS route, thinking it's because it's the right thing to do and maybe other people are doing it, so we need to do it, without yeah. actually asking themselves the question, what is the question? Yeah, so exactly do, you, do, you, do you just want to take us through your kind of... Um, your path along that quest to find out what what is the actual question i think yeah you, you've got to just ask yourself what and why and have a rationale for it so if we take the gps for example we, we know that we've got a, a tolerant group of individuals and we know that we're not playing on the weekend so we could probably afford more fitness over for inter- sorry fatigue and freshness in our given week of training we're, so um Absolute performance, I say, is not paramount in a given week. It's more about how we prep for competition uh, in the specific two weeks before competition. So with that in mind, we don't spend our time looking at um, load uh, of a given day. We can get a rough estimation of how, how loaded we were just simply by taking the RPs from the guys and looking at some absolute scores on our GPS. But what I wanted to know was... Um, making sure that guys weren't spiking in their training exposure so that we were putting into them what into them what was perceived as a normal session. But for those guys, because they've had some time out with a dead leg or illness or whatever, that, that actually could be a spike for them in training based on the, the last four weeks of load. So we, we spend more time just looking at one variable, uh, which is high-speed running for us, um, factored into a training stress balance. So the seven-day rolling average versus a 28-day rolling average. Um, and we just specifically look at that to uh, give us the status of an individual, the training status of that guy, and whether he's in a extreme fatigue or extreme freshness, and um, push and pull him as necessary as an individual then. And our coach is very receptive to that. If we need to modify a guy and pull him out of certain drills or add 
extras on top, then he's very receptive of that. So that's our rationale for using the GPS. In terms of our monitoring, we know that we want to have an influence as early as possible for early signs of immune function um, or immune suppression. And that's the, the common theme that seems to come out is that we can jump on that as quickly as possible with nutritional intervention. Because if you don't have those conversations, generally players tend to wash them under the radar. Um, so those would be our two key key things really is is managing the stress balance of a player on feet because we do a lot of feet work and making sure that their wellness and HRVs are, are matching that. And if they're matching it, all great. If we've got one out of kilt with the other, then we can intervene and, and work with that uh, to try and bring it back in balance. Cool. Um, so just, just one more on that. Uh, the, the app, is that something that's been created in-house or is that um, an external yeah. external app? No, it was something that was created in-house prior to me arriving. In, and the beauty of it is that you can actually, there's some common modules. So across squads, there's common modules, i.e. monitoring and how we upload our training uh, videos and um, certain documents that you put to player profiles, etc. But then for the wellness, you can you can actually um, design the questions, whether it's number-based and data entry-based or slider-based or whatever. So we've done that with our analyst and, and worked to develop that. There's been a couple of versions of that, but we're at a consistent version now for the last 12 months. Um, so, yeah. Cool. So um, just move on a little bit. Um, I know you're a... Just want to talk. Well, first, you want to talk about um, the data that you collect in the gym. Yeah, I know you guys are, are big fans of using the gym aware. Yeah. So, just want to ask you to give your kind of opinion and, and experience of firstly using the gym aware and where that where that data goes and how you manipulate your training off the back of the data that it, it, it spits out. Yeah, um, we started to use it originally as just a basic bit of technology that we could get the boys informing what they were doing a little bit better. So um, coming to work with the lads, they, they weren't of the awareness or education about the, the importance of intent of movement. So we had the gym awares in and we educated the guys on the ability to use the gym awares and, and automatically it becomes competitive. So we put a solution in and we got the outcome without necessarily talking the lads through it monotonously. So that was the first thing we did. And then... Secondly to that, we've evolved over time to use it for different things. One being um, power monitoring, so uh, something down maker type with a, a 20, 40, 60, 80, and 100 uh, loaded jump squat um, and getting a, a force curve for those guys um, across the squad. And actually, because it's just myself as one practitioner and we generally tend to train with a squad in, in the gym at the same time, because they're big enough and that's a great use of time for us within our big program is that it's hard for you to go and monitor guys one by one um, unless you've got the technology so we've got <clears throat> four gym aware set up on four platforms and all the guys can self-monitor themselves on, on that so if we're doing a testing day they select their name input the load work as maximally as possible it, it gets sent up to the cloud, I can extrapolate it, and um, we can have a look at whether they're pro progressing in the right direction. So we use it within training as well, but but also for for assessments throughout the year. Um, it's pretty quick and pretty effective with the cloud-based system they've got. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the uh, the power profile. So, so you've got a, a different curves, different people, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Then what do you, uh, probably pulling teeth a little bit here, but what, yeah. what do you gain off that? 
why, why, why bother doing that? How does it, how does yeah, it influence yeah. things? Uh, it's very much uh, talking to Dan Baker about these things and going, well, he, he sees that the, the, the power output attained at an 80 kilogram loaded jump squat, for example, can differentiate between successful rugby players and the non-successful rugby players, uh, or the elite and non-elite. So uh, we've very much done the same, and, and we've got quite a quota of academy guys in our group and developing athletes. So we use the, um, the 60 and the 80 kilogram loaded jump squat to interpret their current um, power output uh, ability. Um, and then we just track that over time. Uh, the 20 and the 40 really are just used as warm-ups in preparation for the 60 and 80. So in terms of uh, what we take out of it, we're looking at the 60 and 80 as our, um, our main metrics at the moment um, to compare guys from pre and post themselves, but also across the squad. So do you do you use the, the gym wear all year round, or is it just certain times of the year that it gets plugged into you? into no, training we, we have it at certain times of the year from a from a uh, programming point of view and that's one and also we have a bit of an earn the right um culture so we, our guys have to meet certain thresholds on say our isometric mid-time pull before they're really working on considerable power output programs um so our young athletes who come in and are obviously needing strength development first we're just putting numbers on it to show them that they're they're way off the where they, sh- they need to be in the future, not necessarily for how old they are now, but it gives them areas to strive for. It, it's, it's nice to track the development and for them to see their development. Um, and so it comes out for certain players most of the year, and then it comes out on tour when we're in a taper phase for every player, um, when we're in a kind of velocity um, 10-day prep for, for competition, and then it comes out for assessments. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the isometric mid thigh pull. Mm-hmm. Why why that assessment and, and what else do you what else do you gain from that apart from um whether they earn the right to, to do a yeah. you know plugged into a certain program? Half it comes down to um hands on deck, you know. So if I'm if I want to assess people and I've done this as well in in the past. We did we did squat, bench and we did uh, mid thigh pull. Um, but squat and bench was, was taking out a considerable amount of training time for us, especially when we were two to three weeks between competitions before we were back on the plane. So I chose the mid thigh pull because it was giving me the, the most consistent numbers. Um, it was always the same position, the same uh, it was always comparable across athletes. The, the thing with the squat is that we were finding ourselves um, different ranges, different people. You were getting people... Um, you know, with slight knee tweak, and so they couldn't couldn't do the full squat, and so on and so forth. So it was our most consistent based assessment. I've used it for a number of years, back it with the AIS as well, so I know the numbers and know where I want to get the guys to. And for me, as again as a, a one man S and C department, it takes two or three minutes per person to do. So you think about a squat protocol, it's going to take you at least 10, 15 minutes per person. Um, so it's just much more efficient for me. Mm-hmm. Nice. So just to kind of transition a little bit into yep. um, what you just mentioned there with regards to being on tour and in camps. Yeah. Obviously recovery um, between games and and post-tour, post-camp uh, yep. is obviously going to be paramount for you guys. Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about the kind of techniques that you use, um, whether that differs at certain times of the year, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, it's very simple. It's nothing that, that anybody else is not using. I guess it's more about how you 
you really push it at the right times. We don't spend much time out of competition using recovery modalities. We kind of have a, a stress to adapt philosophy. As soon as we're, we're in a two-week window before competition, we'll start to factor in extra recovery. And that largely is around mobility. We've got big big philosophy on joint mobility and, and tissue health, especially after long haul travel, especially with our tour guys. So daily on tour, we'll have pool sessions and mobility sessions, whether that's pre-rugby or post-rugby, depends on the schedule. And how many days leading into competition is dependent on how many time zones we change over as well. But very simple stuff. Um, the coaches are very, very good at understanding that depending on how far we travel, it depends on when they can go full hog with the players as well. So if we go on 12, 12 hours for us, it's going to take three to four days to get over that jet lag. So we'll spend three to four days on real high mobility and recovery focus. Um, when we get to competition, it's very much about empowering the player. Our culture is around giving guys information and entrusting them to make the right decisions. So we have the squids or the compression um garments that we've used um the, like the normal tech old uh, which are now called recovery pump so we use those the boys have compression skins and they have um clinical grade calf skins and full length as well. and then nutritional recovery education so we have a set process based on whether we've got 90 minutes before our next meet after a game finishes or whether we've got extended time beyond 90 minutes so we don't tend to eat a wholesome meal if we've got 90 minutes or less before our next meet time so we'll, the physio and I will make up some bespoke shakes some high um, nutrient based shakes rather than just a protein based shake so there's loads of different areas of nutrition the guys opt in with what they feel is best for them whether it's ice baths or hot and cold showers it's entirely up to, up to the athlete but there's a couple of things that will um, force on them and that's mostly nutrition mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned um, the use of ice baths. Obviously, a little bit of yeah. controversy around yeah. around that at the minute. Um, what's your opinion? Is it are, the, are there the guys that feel that that is the right thing for them? Are they kind of encouraged to do that all the time, or is that is that intervention kind of you know modified for certain games at certain time frames? We will. I guess uh, we don't push any ice baths from which, like I say, when we're training in in pre-season and prior to comps we'll look to stress to adapt so to speak as soon as we're in competition we encourage ice baths for a multitude of factors because it's contact sport um, we say look you get, get yourself in the ice bath if you feel it's necessary if you've got some bumps and bruises and it will help then that's great but most of the guys um, it's probably a 50-50 split uh, there's 50% of the guys that love an ice bath and there's 50% of the guys that hate an ice bath now if we went with an all or nothing rule and put all in the ice bath we're keeping 50% happy and we're probably losing 50% emotionally as well so we don't want to detract from from what makes people feel good so um, yeah it's very much up, up to them and empower them I've got no problems either way because if they feel it works then it's going to work you know mm-hmm. they need to believe in it mm-hmm. nice well I won't keep you for too much longer but just, I just want to t- touch on one more thing which was yeah. Um, something that you mentioned at the start, well, I mentioned at the start with regards to your kind of gym and field-based stuff. Yeah. Um, we've had James Wilde and obviously, you know, Jonas has been yeah. on yeah. to discuss it all, all things speed. I just wanted to get your yeah. kind of how you're incorporating speed into your program. Um, I know it's kind of uh, just, just how it kind of relates to 
in your environment, really. Um, it's all right, yeah. kind of uh, discussing things, how things might work with track and field athletes. But I think obviously dealing with your guys is, is going to be so much different. So I just want to get your take on how you do it, when you do it, and um, what you're actually doing. Okay. Well, obviously speed's pretty fundamental in rugby, uh, sevens specifically. It's twofold for us. Um, we do it with guys who, or every guy from an injury perspective, uh, injury pre- prevention perspective. I'm a big believer, and it's part of my philosophy, that you need to run fast and sprint fast to endure doing it in a game. Um, I think it's criminal if you've got sprints, high-speed-based athletes that you're not doing speed work with. It's Once you get them to a certain threshold, it's not risky. So we, we do it from a protection point of view to start with, but also from a development point of view with um, a certain percentage of the lads. So, for example, we have big 110K guys who are aerial specialists, dynamic carriers through through contact. Speed for them isn't as crucial. Um, for the other guys, it is. And for those guys, they'll sprint twice a week. They'll do Mondays and Thursdays, so immediately post a, a day's recovery or two days' recovery. Um, we'll tend to work on acceleration bias in one session and top speed running max velocity bias in another session. And also within the week, the coach factors into our sessions 20 minutes of agility twice a week which is also encompassing what we call ball transfer so the movement of the ball in attack uh, whilst you're cutting for example um, is something we'll train together in terms of an agility point of view so we do get quite a lot of high speed running technical work um, and ball in hand work in, in a chaotic environment from an agility perspective as well um, that the coach empowers me with prior to or at the beginning of sessions so we've got a quite a high dose of it compared to probably a normal rugby club I think it's quite paramount to, to our development and Jonas has actually come in for the pre-season came in for a session a week with the whole squad for good effect I think it's really important to get those kind of specialists in um, because it, it really does captivate the players they love specialists coming in for those reasons and and ultimately they've got more to offer than I would do in that area um, so yeah, and we're, we're fortunate to have the time to do it, which is great. So, so you are you timing you guys every session or periodically? No, periodically it's okay. more of a monitor. I think I think the one thing you tend to see in rugby players is that um, the moment you ramp up the volume of um, training, so you cover a lot more of that middle ground speed and the middle ground energetics, and once the, the times then are close to. Um, the beginning of season uh, speed times that you've taken, but they might not be uh, better than. I think we spend four or five weeks off at the end of the season, and actually guys come in really rapid because they've had that time off. They've freshened up. They've almost metabolically deconditioned from an aerobic anaerobic point of view, and therefore they're, they're as you expect, fast as. But um, yeah, we'll keep a check on their monitoring basically, and we just want them to be within certain thresholds of their PBs. Uh, for us to be happy. And we've had situations where guys have fallen outside of that. The coach is happy for us to pull back on some of the rugby to spend a bit more time on that speed if it's part of that individual's game. So yeah. so, so you mentioned agility stuff that you you kind of share with the coach or, or yeah. mingling with the coach. What's that what's that look like? I mean I know you described it a little bit, but yeah. what from coming from coming from your perspective, what are you looking for in them sessions? Um we're looking for very much, uh, there's twofold to this because you've got, my my philosophy to start with is about 
developing underpinning agility movement patterns so i have about five or six key movement patterns that i use with guys and they're there are drills there are you guys get into the right positions in the right way um, at various different speeds and it's all in your control it's all anticipated by the, the person doing the drill and they can practice it and it's repetition based um, and then the second string to that is how can we put those movement patterns that we feel strong and there's a high incidence of them in rugby sevens into practice so take cutting for example how do we put that into an environment where what's in front of you is changing all the time so we'll, we'll create a constraints led approach to, to agility it's very hard when you say when you put it down to a one-on-one drill. The guy who's defending doesn't want to get beaten, and the guy who's attacking wants to beat him. So you clash in the middle. So we we constrain the defender in certain ways. So we ask him the only way he can he can defend is with rushing. You know he has to go full pelt at him, or the only way he can defend is backpedaling or with his shoulders turned, or with a, a dummy in there or whatever and, and we force the guys who are in attack and the guys that are focusing on their agility to make decisions based on the environment in front of them. What we're looking for is for the individual to have a, a toolkit of um, solutions to movement and that they choose the right strategy at the right time with what they see in front of them. Um, the coach is very good at, at integrating that at the early part of rugby in two sessions a week for us. Cool. So in in that area, who are your, uh, you've mentioned Jonas, uh, who are your kind of go-to guys when it comes to that side of things, the agility side of things? Yeah, I like having conversations as opposed to going away and reading. So there's two two guys for me um, are definitely Chris McLeod, who I spent a bit of time with and talked about different areas of uh, agility within speed, monitoring and so on and so forth. So is it English and EAS? Yeah, Chris okay. is EIS. He's, yeah. he's, a, he's a, or a technical manager, but he's done a lot of work with netball previously. And his area of, area of interest would be a change direction, agility, and movement. Um, and then the other one is, is Ben Rosenblatt, who has the hockey program over at Bishop. Um, and he's doing a lot around that as well, and also did part of that, that recent workshop with Jonas to yes. good effect. So those two guys, really, and, and even Jonas, I mean, we, we talked about how do we. I, I was working with him in the sense of I need you to, to work on the technical models of these guys, but also how do we get these guys into those technical models from very random and very varied changes of direction. Um, and the traditional way to work on speed is obviously out the blocks, low start, project yourself and raise up. But in rugby, you're very much in a stood up position. Then you need to compress and then you need to accelerate. And it's, it's generally off another change of direction from another direction. So we talked about what are the common things we could look for, and Franz Bosch talks about attractors. What are the key attractors you'd look for in, in terms of getting in the right positions to express that perfect model of acceleration? Um, so, yeah, Jonas is another one because Jonas would give me the, the insight from the other side of it, you know, in terms of the, what's critical in those first two or three steps. So therefore, what do we have to maintain in our change of direction to create a good outcome at the end of it? Um, so, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm just conscious of time. Um, so just, I'm, I'm going to let you go in a sec, but I just want to um, obviously to give your uh, details out. Where, where can people keep up to date with what you've got going on? Yes, simply Twitter, I guess, which is at Howells. Dan, H-O-W-E-L-L-S-D-A-N. Um, and 
yeah, that that's it basically in terms of keeping up to date with me. I'm not I'm not too mainstream with my own website or anything like that. I kind of keep myself under the radar. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be the best place to um, have a look at what I'm up to. So you're obviously pretty open to people coming down, having a look yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, I think obviously it's what we ask is that there's something in return you know Absolutely, we always 100%. want something back whether that's some shared information there's, there's been a you know i've had jack naylor over recently who's expressed some of the work that he did with chelsea and psg and uh, over at rail and really interesting to hear his thoughts of about things from the football side of things and some great food for thought there so it's yeah guys coming down it's great it's just getting contact and then um we'd have a discussion and see what we could agree from a mutual beneficial standpoint cool well like i say i'm conscious of time so i'm going to uh, i'm going to just going to thank you for your time on uh, a couple of days before christmas and and let you get yeah. back to let you get back to more no important problem. things but yeah i appreciate your all your insights and um and obviously been open with uh, with what you're doing so thank you very much thank and you. i'll um i'll speak to you soon mate thank you rob cheers mate perfect cheers mate bye Thanks for tuning in to episode 65 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Dan. Massive thanks for your support over 2015 and huge thanks again to Val Performance, creators of the Nordboard, who continue to sponsor the podcast into 2016. So they launch mid-January, so if you are interested in getting more information about a Nordboard, drop them a line over at valdperformance.com. So thanks again, and I will see you in episode 66.